Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, welcome to the show. I'm Shira. Ryan is out, but Dr. James Simmons is filling in. Yes, Queen. Yay! We've got a doctor in the house. (laughs) I love it. So you can expect definitely some mental health stories, Mm -hmm. some health stories. Mm -hmm. From who? Uh, you know, Wait. from us, and you're going to be oh. bringing your expert insights. Oh. oh, I suppose I could do that. Yeah, we're talking about sleep and its impact on our mental health. And you mm-hmm. study that's uh, going to be later in the show. The Abercrombie and Fitch documentary that shows how white they actually were. <laughs> how white were they? Right. 6:35 p.m. Eastern. Really fascinating. It's getting a lot of buzz, and we have someone joining us to break that down. And in 15 minutes, the first ever California Reparation Task Force is here. What it looks like. Stick around for that conversation. Let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. The CDC has determined that its order requiring masking on planes and other public transit is still needed. Despite all the news we've heard, it's setting in motion a Justice Department appeal of a federal court decision that overturned the mandate. And uh, the following, uh, following the CDC statement, uh, the justice immediately filed a notice of appeal. The appeal announcement does not change the removal of the mask mandate earlier this week, though. The Justice Department did not request for a stay of the judge ru- judge's ruling, uh, which would have reinstated the masking requirements. This has taken some time. OK, they said that they plan to appeal a Florida federal judge's ruling and that for now, you know, you can like you can basically do what you want. Um, but that CDC believes masking remains necessary. So it's either that you believe this judge who was appointed by Trump or possibly you believe the CDC. Who was also not recommended by the Florida Bar Association, by the way. Ooh, damn. Okay. Uh, And... Lastly, a Michigan Republican sent an unhinged text message to supporters to raise funds for his campaign that claimed that their children had been signed up for gender reassignment surgery. Yep. And they basically said, the, they said, stop Biden from doing this to our kids. They literally had a screenshot uh, yeah, uh, yeah. acting like this their kids signed up for gender reassignment surgery. So, yeah, they replaced it with just this statement about Biden. And the fundraising plea claims that radical Democrats opposing Tom are fighting dirty. And Democrats are hell-bent on destroying our faith, removing God from the center of our nation, pushing trans ideology on young children. Mm. Just one of the many things coming out. And that was from Michigan. That was what's trending this hour. A quickie. Uh I guess what's happening in entertainment news? Do you want to tease what's happening ne- next hour? Yeah, well, we we definitely have um, some very interesting things coming up, uh, and including a really fascinating talk. I'm sure it will be about uh, reparations um, that California is working on as the first state in the nation. However, yesterday in the T report, Mike Tyson. Oh boy. 
The last person you want to egg on on an airplane, I believe, is Mike Tyson, right? Like, yeah. You just want to leave that guy alone. And unfortunately, we can't really play the audio for you because it gets a little crass in spaces. But long story short, flight from San Francisco to Florida. Mike Tyson is sitting in first class. And this person is sitting behind him giving him a, a ridiculous time. It's completely obnoxious. I feel like if anyone was being poked and prodded quite literally – like this person was doing to Mike Tyson, they would react in some sort of way. Well, you're doing this to what some would argue is the pound-for-pound greatest boxer of all time. It was this drunk white guy. It's like uh-huh. a frat boy that's yep. like prodding and bothering the the greatest of all time, right? Yep. And you know he he doesn't uh, play nice necessarily. And and this guy's intoxicated, right? Oh, so yeah. he's like totally not understanding boundaries and whatever. And so basically he got up to the line and then decided to jump over the line. So Mike Tyson turned around and jumped him and is seen repeatedly punching this guy until finally, uh, you know, the airline... Uh, steps in or whatever. Yeah, And they, they captured in. it. So the whole thing seemed Ugh. just annoying it and it's awful. unfortunate. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Okay, well more coming up on the T-Report next hour. I'm so excited or I'm intrigued to talk about Jada Pinkett Smith addressing mm-hmm. the slap, you know, the Oscar slap and, and the red table talk return. So James has got that. But next up, as you mentioned, California has established a first in the nation task force on reparations. So what would it look like? We dive in next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A task force is helping California state officials examine how African-Americans have been harmed by slavery and systemic racism and deciding how the state should respond. So what reparations should there be? How would this actually work? Well, Lil Kalis joins us right now from Cal Matters, who's been reporting about this. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's break this down. Like, when did this all start and who launched it? Because, um, unfortunately, this is a very unique situation. It hasn't been done anywhere in the country. Yes, that's correct. So, um, California's Task Force on Reparations was created uh, in 2020. And over the past uh, couple of months, they've been meeting every month to kind of determine what uh, reparations will look like and who it will uh, involve. And in March... um, the task force voted that they were going to uh, limit reparations, <clears throat> which has the scope of which has yet to be decided, to uh, the descendants of enslaved people and people uh, who can show direct lineage to free black person living in the United States uh, before the end of the 19th century. I think that's so interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm a biracial person. My dad is black and I, I think about you know, I haven't done 23andMe or, you know, Ancestry.com or any of those things. I have no idea where my lineage is. If we were uh, some of the first black people to be brought over from Western Africa on slave ships, if we're directly from the Caribbean and we may not qualify, I feel like there's a really interesting sort of burden of proof that a lot of black folks are going to have to go through. And how are people supposed to determine whether or not they would be eligible for these reparations? Yeah, that's a great question and has been something that uh, has been on a lot of readers' minds. I've been getting a lot of questions about, will I be eligible? And I frankly don't know. Um, but in the March meeting, they brought on um, a ton of uh, genealogists, like a lot of black genealogists, who uh, showed different methods for folks um, to prove their lineage, um, whether it's you know using something like 23andMe or another database, or if people have access to census records or can at least trace maybe which state uh, their great-grandparent or great-great-grandparent was in around what time, and then, you know, that might be enough. But no um, specifics in terms of, like, proving eligibility has been determined yet. Um, the task force chairperson, Camille Moore, said um, 
that, according to the economists that are kind of figuring out the scope, that roughly 80 percent of California's uh, black population will be eligible, which is a little over two million people. Wow. And when would it be paid out? How would that work? And what what amount would it be? Uh, yeah, I, I wish I had more answers. I know. But, um, <laughs> We're curious, I mean. Um, yeah, the, the task force um, chairperson says it's still too early to say because they've just kind of decided the community of eligibility. And so they still haven't decided like what re- what form reparations will take and when that will be paid or what that might even look like in terms of how much. But um, she did say that one of the economists um, who they have on the on the committee, or sorry, who's helping make those determinations, <clears throat> and he's his name is William Garrity. He's the author of a book called From Here to Equality. That's kind of a roadmap for reparations in the whole United States. And he estimates that uh, if we really want to close the racial wealth gap in the country, each Black American should receive three hundred thousand dollars. Um, but Camille Moore said, the chairperson said that, you know, California doesn't really have that budget. And he was like, yeah, California doesn't really have that budget. So it won't be that much. <laughs> um, but one, um, one thing she did mention was, or one possibility is to have this kind of reparations tribunal, which is still not, you know, a hundred percent going to be a final recommendation that will go to the legislature, but it could look like, you know, there's these different, uh, tribunals, like maybe for folks that have been victims of police brutality or folks that have experienced redlining, they might be able to file a claim and receive um, compensation for a specific harm. Um, but still, it's all kind of up in the air right now because uh, they won't have their final recommendations until to present to the legislature until uh, July of next year. But they will uh, mm. submit a first report, which will have some kind of preliminary um, recommendations of what reparations will look like uh, as early as June of this year. I mean, I definitely appreciate the the need to do this in the right way. You know, the people are like investments in black businesses and maybe it's baby bonds, maybe it's cash, direct payments. Um, But I I hear you saying all these things, Lil, and I, I, I love it. I think it's great. But also I sort of get nervous. Like what's what what's the burden going to be on an already disadvantaged and disproportionately impacted population to have to prove these things and have to jump through these hoops. Like the, the more we start talking about all these different like funnels and different things that people might have to go through, I feel like, okay, well, you're going to have a seven year long process just to get reparations. And then, you know, like what, what's going to be the benefit of it? I know it's super early and the official report doesn't come out till July of next year, but I think there's, there's a, a lot to that. Um, do, do you have any insight just by the way, now that I'm done rambling about um, other, how this might impact other states, you know, other states that are trying to take a look at what they might start to do in terms of reparations or even on the federal level? Sure. Yeah. So California's task force on reparations is the first statewide program, but there are a ton of other cities um, across or cities and counties that have kind of begun that process um, like early last year. Uh, Evanston, Illinois, became the first city to approve a form of reparations, and they gave um, $25,000 in housing grants to 16 black residents, not, you know, not restricted by having to prove that lineage, but folks that had um, experienced redlining in Evanston. Mm-hmm. Um, similar things in Asheville are kind of underway, Asheville, North Carolina. And so it seems like reparations is kind of gaining momentum around the country, Um Federally, there's uh, this bill, H.R. 40, 
which um, California's bill basically has the same language. It's you know to develop and to develop and study uh, the scope, develop a plan and study the scope of um, what reparations might look like for Black Americans. Um, and that bill has been introduced every year since uh, 1987. And um, I think that some folks in the federal government or lawmakers are hoping that it will actually pass um, sometime soon. But it's, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's been a really long process at trying to even get mm-hmm. um, a plan or a, to commission a study on what reparations will look like. And so when those things will be paid out, if at all, on the federal level is seems quite far off. Definitely. Well, that was Lil Kalish from CalMatters, who's reporting about this. For more, check out their coverage at calmatters.org. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, next up, the Florida Department of Health is pushing back on federal guidance on trans youth care. And one doctor is explaining the implications of this and what could happen next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, Florida is at it again, as usual, um, being horrible to a lot of people, including the LGBTQ and trans community. No. Yeah. The Florida Department of Health has released new guidance reaffirming its stance against gender-affirming care for trans youth, and it's following similar efforts by several other Republican-led states across the country. They're actually slamming the U.S. Department of Health and Human uh, Services, which recently showed their commitment to supporting and protecting trans youth, their families, and caretakers. They actually, HHS, issued a guidance that gender-affirming care for minors, when medically appropriate and necessary, improves their physical and mental health. Yeah. Does that matter, though, it seems, to (laughs) anyone? No, because it's not actually about individuals' mental or physical health. It's about politics, Shira. Yes, and Dr. Hussein Abdul-Latif joins us right now, professor of pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, who has been uh, quoted a lot around these stories. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate what we're seeing here. Um, Florida, though, going out of their way to specifically go against the HHS's guidance. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, it's it's very interesting, you know, for Florida because that gives them a little bit of a of a voice, uh, but they are not passing a law or stuff like that. So um, perhaps they are trying to get some attention uh, out of it without running into legal issues by passing a law or maybe by trying to um, up 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 the ante against other states that are. Uh, passing laws and, and criminalizing physicians and families for uh, treating their kids uh, who are having gender dysphoria. What what types of, of issues are we starting to see play out now that some of this legislation, um, you know, in, in other states, you know, you, you mentioned that Florida, this is sort of just a statement against, you know, the, the HHS, but other states are actually implementing laws, you know, making it illegal to, to treat trans kids and to provide gender affirming care. And w- what are some of the ramifications of this that we're starting to see in the pediatric population? Yeah, I mean, one of the... Um it's so many different ramifications. One of them kind of in the case of Texas, where the governor uh, mentioned that, that parents of trans kids uh, should be considered uh, child abusers or something like that. It's not a law, but it has already caused an effect by uh, causing some of the main clinics in Texas that take care of trans kids to close, not because there is a law yet, because there's not a law yet, 
but because of the intimidation of statements like that that made the organizations that generally support those clinics close them. Mm. Uh, in Arkansas, where a law was passed, but it was uh, put on an injunction uh, by the courts, also the clinic there is kind of um, trying not to see patients or, or um, the hospital in, in Arkansas is basically trying to close that clinic again in order to avoid um, things that are not anyway legal at that point, but, but just because of the attention that it brings or because of the intimidation of the talk about it. Um, the state of Alabama, where I am located, uh, they did pass a law and the uh, governor signed it. Uh, that will make it a criminal act uh, for a person to prescribe uh, puberty blockers or hormone medications or surgeries. Uh, and that criminality would would be a felony charge um, punished by 10 years in prison and $10,000 fine. Well, you're, you're a doctor and you work with youth. What are you thinking about all this? You're in Alabama. Are you able to do your job right now in terms of uh, treating and caring for the trans youth there? Yes. Uh, so it is. Um, the law has not yet taken effect. It will take effect on May eighth. Um, we uh, we are continuing our our work. You know, we did see patients and we prescribed medications uh, last week, and uh, everything is according to plan um, as the law is being challenged in the courts. Uh, we are hoping that the courts will be wise enough to grant us an injunction and therefore make the law inapplicable until the courts decide further on it. But um, if the courts do not grant us an injunction, then um, we are in a um, very difficult situation because we have to try to find where our kids can take uh, uh, can be taken care of um, in our neighboring states, but our neighboring states are not very friendly states to trans populations, period. And, and you, you lead me actually directly into my question. What do you say to these families? What do you say to these kids needing your gender-affirming care and they can't get it in their home city, their home county, their home state? What do you say to parents and families? Like, what's your what's the plan B? Like, what's the next step for these kids who really need this care? Yeah, I mean, the one wonderful thing about the trans community is that uh, there are some greatly and very well organized families, including in Alabama, and that are trying to start kind of a certain grassroots uh, way of finding a pathway. I guess maybe um, you're talking South again and history, uh, like maybe an underground railway of some sort of to try to um, figure out a way to help families financially who cannot afford it, Mm. uh, pay things cash in outside states or so. Uh, Could they see doctors through TransHealth? we're getting in contact with our colleagues that are close to us in Tennessee and Georgia in order to see if they would be willing to see our patients. The one sad element of those laws is that they are discriminating against the poor and the uh, minorities, mm-hmm. minorities, you know, racially and ethnically, because um, if you are on Medicaid in the state of Alabama, it does not cross uh, state lines. And so uh, they can go to Georgia or or to Tennessee or to Mississippi or Florida, but um, their insurance will not pay for them for their medications, and that is a, a huge financial burden if they are on puberty blockers, which are expensive. 
Okay, well, uh, I mean, we could talk about this uh, for longer. There's so many questions around this that (laughs) I still even have. But uh, thank you again for joining us and for the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was Dr. Hussein Abdul-Latif, uh, a pediatric or professor of pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Uh, and also just as an FYI, like in Florida specifically, the DOH says that social gender transition should not be an option even for children or adolescents. Talk about control, right? Jeez. And people under wow. 18 should not be prescribed puberty blockers or home- hormone therapy. Yep. It's okay. an all out war. Yep. Well, next up, speaking of that, the signs behind Tucker Carlson's testicle tanning debunked. Mm-hmm. We have a doctor here. Uh, I want to know what you think, James, after this. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, the internet is still laughing at Tucker Carlson's new show uh, where he talks the about... The end of men. The end of men. Yes, exactly. And testicle tanning. Uh, here's a clip that's made its rounds. Bringing it back. Sorry for triggering you. You saw in the clip there. Um, if you want to optimize and take it uh, to another level, expose yourself to red light therapy. Yes. Um, and the juve um, that we were using in the documentary, there's a massive amount Which of that. Which is testicle tanning. It's testicle tanning, but it's also full body uh, red light therapy. Uh-huh. which has massive amount of benefits. And there's so much data out there um, that isn't being picked up on or covered. So obviously half the viewers right now are like, what? That's cr- testicle tanning? That's crazy. But my view is, okay, testosterone levels crash and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. So why is it crazy to seek solutions? It's not crazy to seek solutions. And I think um, I was recently exposed to a term called bromeopathy. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that um, (laughs) don't trust the mainstream information. And they're taking, you saw so, all right, so many questions. Um, all of the questions, right. First, is it true that <laughs> testosterone is decreasing? Let's uh, debunk that, and then I want to debunk everything else. Super controversial whether or not testosterone is actually decreasing because it's sort of a function of we're actually testing for it more now. So we're starting to try to realize there may be a thing called andropause, which is similar in men to what women go through oh. as menopause, wow. but it's a much longer, slower process. We've attributed sort of this loss of muscle function, loss of hair, loss of libido, like depression, anxiety, irritability. Uh Midlife crisis. Men go through, right, as a midlife crisis, (laughs) right? And I'm generalizing here. But, well, now there may be actually something to it in terms of lowering testosterone that we're finding out that testosterone at about age 40 goes down at 1% every year. Wow. But that's probably been going on our entire lifespan as a species, right? So it's not that we're dropping testosterone more necessarily. We're just more aware of it and testing yeah. for it now. So I just love how Tucker's like, you know, there's this massive drop in testosterone and no one's talking about that. Literally, if you just Google drop in testosterone, it's everywhere. Isn't it like causation versus correlation? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And what about uh, a bromeotherapy and, and the red, red light lights, therapy on your I testicles? So Does that work? There's great, there's, this guy's totally lying. There's not a ton <laughs> of great data or science. Well-researched science. There's a lot of crappy research studies out there about what red light may be able to do. It's particularly focused on how it can help skin conditions. There is an absolute dearth, nothing that I could find in the literature that shows that any red light therapy targeted at anyone's testicles is going to increase their testosterone. It is not a proven fact. It's a 
load of crap. And do not take your medical advice from Tucker Carlson or any of his guests. This is all political mm, stunting yeah. and a big thing. The, the end of men and all this, it, it actually really makes me angry because there are people that are out there that are going to harm themselves because of this. Just think about this. Testicles hang away from the body on purpose to stay cool. The last thing you want to do is put a laser on them to oh, heat yeah, them that's up. That's true. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> Next up, Red Table Talk <laughs> is back. Jada Pinkin Smith is addressing the Oscar slap in the first episode back. So more on that next. What's trending this hour? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we're back. I'm Shira. Ryan is out. Dr. James Simmons is filling in today. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. It's a blast having you here. Thank you very much. Always happy to be here. I know. We love having you. We have too much fun. Let's go there. We really do. Uh, We are getting into this new documentary from Abercrombie, or not from them, but it's about Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, And they're image of masculinity that affected Asian men and other communities of color. This is a documentary that a lot of people are talking about. We're going to get into it in 30 minutes. Love that. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, Plus, the Red Table Talk is back. The first season. They addressed the Oscar slap and they had a star that revealed they're non-binary. So Uh James has got that tea in a moment. Sure do. First, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. In a first, the Federal Bureau of Prisons has been ordered to secure gender-affirming surgery for a trans prisoner. A federal judge in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Illinois ordered the Bureau to undergo a national search for a qualified surgeon to perform the surgery for the inmate Christina Nicole Iglesias. Iglesias said in a statement to NBC by her legal rep and the ACLU, I am hopeful that I will finally get the care I need to live my life fully as the woman I am. And she has also been denied gender-affirming surgery for years. And she said, they keep raising new excuses and putting new obstacles in my way. I'm grateful that the court recognized the urgency of my case and ordered BOP to act. I love that. That is fantastic. Yeah. Come on now. Keep fighting. Exactly. Now, former President Obama spoke to Stanford University in his continued fight against misinformation. And here's what he had to share. People like Putin and Steve Bannon, for that matter, understand it's not necessary for people to believe this information in order to weaken democratic institutions. You just have to flood a country's public square with enough raw sewage. You just have to raise enough questions, spread enough dirt, plant enough conspiracy theorizing that citizens no longer know what to believe. Yeah, he seems to be really going on a tour talking about all of this right now. Such a luxury not being president anymore because you kind of get to say whatever's on your mind yeah. and there are like very limited repercussions. Like you already signed your big deal, probably got paid with Netflix. Like you totally. are Barack Obama. People love you, respect you, and listen to you. I'm here for it. Is it the ultimate retirement after I th- president? <laughs> I think so. Especially when you're only like, what is he, like 60 or something? He's like super young I don't still. Know how old he is. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, Michelle Obama and her oh, her brother has been in the headlines recently. Yeah, Craig Robinson. Yeah, he's crazy. former basketball coach at, at Oregon State, and him and his wife are suing the uh, private prep school, high school that their uh, kids went to. Um, he is 60. Damn, I'm good uh, for racism, um, Where the school where their kids went to, so making a lot of headlines with that. Okay, yeah, the Obamas stay in the news. And then, of course, I went down the rabbit hole and saw that, I guess because she was on Ellen, she said how uh, one of her daughters is dating and how they're like now bringing home real men, like 
you know, the men uh-huh, uh-huh. and what that's like. Potential so I suitors. started going to the Gaza. I was like, oh, who's she there? <laughs> anyway. Of course. Moving on to the CDC, who's launched a new center that aims to model and predict the path of infectious diseases like COVID, then relay that information to the public, along with federal, state, and local governments. They likened the center to a kind of national weather service for infectious diseases, mm. in the same way that the weather service warns people about approaching hurricanes. The CFA would give people advance notice about outbreaks. Kind of like the office of pandemic planning that existed under the Obama administration and uh-huh. Bush and others before that, but then got removed during the Trump administration, which is maybe why we were in the COVID yeah. situation that we were in. Yeah. So what you could go, someone's going to be like obsessed and really bored and just be constantly on that site or have a lot of OCD. <laughs> I know. it's like, like, But it, refresh, a lot of people refresh. have talked about, you know, the communication strategies that the CDC did pretty poorly uh, by a lot of measures could have helped stop so much of the confusion between masks and no masks, vaccines and all this kind of stuff. Obviously, it's really hard to adjust and and do the right messaging to an entire country as diverse as ours and the world in the middle of a global pandemic. But something like this is absolutely going to help. Hopefully. That is the hope. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, James? Oh, boy. Shira Mm. baited everybody in. Jada Pinkett Smith addresses slap in the return to the Red Table Talk, except (laughs) she didn't. So what? considering all they, they put up just a little title card at the beginning of the episode, considering all that has happened in the last few weeks, yeah. the Smith family has been focusing on deep healing. Some of the discoveries around our healing will be shared at the table when the time calls. Like, that's it. And then they move on to a pre-recorded interview, which is actually the more juicy, wonderful, amazing story, because this pre-recorded interview at the Red Table Talk, Shira is when Janelle Monet officially comes out as non-binary. Amazing. Woo. She's oh they're great. They're we need great. they're great. There you go. We need uh we need uh, you know I don't I'm not sure if they entirely address the pronoun issue there. I'm I'm we we can I suppose make assumptions about they them but yeah. um we'll have to dig more into that. So Jan- Janelle Monet has really, you know, made headlines literally today about this and I'm non-binary, so I just don't see myself as a woman solely. I feel all of my energy, they said. I feel like God is so much bigger than the he or the she. And if I am from God, I am everything. But I will always, always stand with women. I will always stand with black women. But I just see everything that I am beyond the binary. Such amazing news. Such a powerful voice in not only music, but as a part of the community and has been out, sort of an out person uh, in terms of their sexuality for a really long time with the community. But now to come out and, and say this in what was a hotly anticipated first Red Table Talk, you know, everyone anticipating that they were going to address what happened with the slap at the Oscars. But instead, they get this amazing news. It's great. That's what we needed. A little celebration. Enough of the Oscar stuff. Yeah, seriously. So Jada said that they'll address this down the road at some point. Oh, I'm sure uh, they who will. Cares. Yeah. And Dr. Alfie, who's been on our show, also makes an appearance in the trailer. Oh, hey, there we go. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay, well, the new study that reveals more about our sleep patterns and mental health after this. Don't Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we are back. And a new study coming out of uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Where is that? Bring him uh, in Women's Hospital. Boston. In Boston, where I went to school, Emerson College. They are linking bad sleep patterns to negative mental health symptoms. Not that surprising. Yeah, no, not at all. I actually think this is a really sort of brilliant study. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is, unfortunately, research takes a little while when you do it in the right way. And what happens is 
we we don't get research, we don't get the data about the things that we kind of already know until sort of after the fact. So essentially what these really, really smart researchers did was look at the correlation, or if there's a correlation, between people who had poor sleep kind of in the beginning of the pandemic and their mental health around the same time as well as their substance use. And I think what's mm. so interesting, right? There are so many people who are talking about, man, in the first, and they did this sort of, they started January 2020, but then they continue it on and through uh, April of 2020. So there was some early pandemic data versus pre-pandemic data. And what they were able to find was people were not, people were actually on average sleeping a quarter hour longer, but it wasn't good sleep. They were going to sleep later. They weren't having as deep of sleep. Yeah. They were reporting that their sleep was poor. And that correlated to an increase in adverse mental health. Everyone was stressed out at the beginning of the pandemic, right? And substance use went through the roof. So what they're now going to continue with this longitudinal study is following these cohort of individuals and seeing if there are now still associations now that we're sort of out of the beginning of the pandemic and we're into this sort of almost endemic phase, if there's still an association between adverse mental health, so like depression, anxiety, things like that, and poor sleep. Okay. Well, what do people do about that if this is the case? I mean, I, I go back to there are some really tried and true things that we should do around our sleep. And one of the things I tell people is it's it's about a mindset. So you really have okay. to be like, listen, sleep is going to be my priority. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we wake up and we're like, okay, it's Monday morning at 7 a.m. And this week I'm going to do whatever. Like I'm not going to snack. Right. Like, so uh, let's just say that that's what you're doing. So like you're between lunch and dinner. I'm not going to have a snack. I'm really going to focus on this and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to drink some water, like whatever. You have to attack your sleep in the same way, the same way that people are like, I'm going to find a new a job. Goal. Yeah. Just set a goal for it. Some other things that you can do that are really super important. Try your hardest to go to bed at the exact oh, same time. I'm so bad at that. Every night. I know it's I'm really, so really bad tough. At that. Plus or minus 20 minutes. I tell people like, if, you know, if you normally go to bed at 1037, like it doesn't have to be 1037, but plus or minus 10 minutes, uh, 20 minutes on either side, a nice, cool environment, a yes. dark environment, get your electronics. This is the hardest for so many of us. Get your electronics out of the environment. Literally don't plug your phone in, in your bedroom. It's so distracting. The blue light is bad for us as well as you're just, you want to roll over and check your email, check your text, like see what's going on. Yep. All of those things really prevent us from getting good sleep. All good stuff to know, which is why I probably am not getting a lot of deep sleep. According to my aura <laughs> ring, I get a lot of REM sleep. I'm dreaming. Oh, yeah. A lot Ooh, of dreams. Very active. <laughs> very there, active yeah. brain. <laughs> all right. Well, next up, a really interesting new documentary all about Abercrombie and Fitch. A lot of crazy revelations and how their image of masculinity affected the Asian community and just people of color overall. Mm. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new Netflix documentary is getting a lot of buzz. It's called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Take a listen. Oh, make me over. Abercrombie and Fitch said, we go after the cool kids. If they didn't look a certain way, they didn't belong in our clothing. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. And joining us right now is Kimi Yam from NBC News. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Well, tell us more about the documentary. Why is it getting so much attention and why was this an important one for you to cover? So I think that 
if you're a millennial, you can probably attest to how absolutely ubiquitous uh, Abercrombie and Fitch was during the late 90s mm-hmm. uh, and early 2000s. Um, those ads were really everywhere. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest, uh, biggest takeaways, I think, from the documentary um, was really just that it held this kind of mirror, this brand held this mirror up to the body standards that we were seeing all around us at that time, um, who that were really, really impossible. Um, and, you know, the, the brand not only was reflective of these body standards, but in many ways they inflamed and set them. Uh, and so I think a lot of the reason why it's getting so much buzz is because I think for people who came of age at that point, it had a tremendous effect on people's own self-confidence and self-worth. And, you know, in in watching this documentary, you understand that it's not even just the marketing. Every part of this brand was meticulously architectured to create this very exclusive image that, you know, didn't really include POC whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, you, and you don't even have to be a millennial, Kimmy. I am a solid Xer and was absolutely influenced by, uh, you know, the images portrayed in Abercrombie and not even wanting to be sort of a chunky black kid, like going into the stores, knowing that mm-hmm. this was not, you know, an unwelcoming place for me. I know my experience is certainly not unique. What what revelations sort of did you find in this of, of other people's experiences uh, with Abercrombie that impacted them, you know, even then and maybe even now? I, I mean, you brought up something uh, like a really great point. It did have this very unwelcoming aura to it. Uh, and there is, especially if you're a POC, there's a reason for that. Um, in the documentary, you can see uh, Anthony Ocampo, who um, I talked to for my piece, uh, was very candid in how, you know, he went back uh, to ask, you know, for his job, which he had been offered um, you know, he had worked at the, the store previously and they told him, you know what, you can come back for the next season uh, and you'll have your job back. And when he tried to do so, they told him there were too many Filipinos in the store. Um, and what's crazy, well, first of all, he actually didn't ever explicitly tell him, tell the store that he was Filipino, but they kind of just made this assumption. Um, but also... You know, over the years, they had gotten a lot of accusations of, you know, putting black and brown people in the back rooms, you know, recruiting people from sororities and fraternities, uh, white, young college students who very much fit that sort of uh, very exclusive aesthetic and fit that aesthetic that we often saw on billboards. Um, You know, a lot of those uh, black and white uh, those really iconic images that we saw at the, in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it really came down to was they not only had a lot of these images um, in their stores that, you know, were a very kind of waspy, very, very built, muscular, um, you know, male model look, but they, you know, relegated a lot of these uh, black and brown people to the back so they wouldn't be seen or they were fired. There were actually in-house guidelines um, telling people they couldn't have dreadlocks, things like this that were very yeah, much, crazy. you know, it, it was it was pretty extreme. 
explicit in the way that that people were discriminated against. So, you know, when when someone comes out and says, "Okay, we're not hiring you because you're Filipino," I mean, it it kind of is very much in line with how bold um, in some ways that the company appeared to be at that time and how exclusive they were. And, and no, uh, like, respon- take no responsibility. No one was holding them accountable. Tell us more about the 2003 class action lawsuit accusing the company of discriminatory practices. Yeah, so in that lawsuit, I think a lot of people had the same experience that uh, Anthony Ocampo had. Um, and that they either weren't rehired or they were let go or, you know, they also experienced a lot of the other uh, really discriminatory in-house guidelines. Um, so there was this uh, class action lawsuit. Um, and, you know, initially Abercrombie and Fitch actually came back and said that they weren't hired on the basis of attractiveness, um, which, you know, is kind of another heartbreak for so many of these uh, people in the first place who already had dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, the discrimination at their workplace. And then on top of that, to kind of say, OK, this is how it's because of how you look. Um, you know, I know Anthony was saying how it was kind of laughable at that point, uh, but you know, Abercrombie didn't really fight the lawsuit. Uh, they settled. There was no wow. formal apology, no admission of guilt. Um, and they kind of moved on. That's so crazy. Definitely a documentary a lot of people are going to check out. And, and hopefully fashion has gotten better. And hopefully we're, you know, holding companies like that, as I mentioned, accountable. Right. Part Just, two of the documentary, <laughs> the next story, right? right? Like, is it getting better? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and breaking that all down and for your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, that was Kimmy Yam from NBC News. Check out her story on NBCNews.com right now. And next up, how these diehard cruise ship fans live a sea full-time, live at sea. (laughs) (laughs) They live a sea. Live a sea full-time life. (laughs) We're next to nothing. All right, that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, well, it seems like some couples are resorting to heading to sea and living their lives full-time on a cruise ship. Is this something that you would want to do? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'd have to get over myself with the like environmental impacts of things. Like, you know, there's some cruise ships that just don't... Uh, they're pretty tough on the environment. But overall, yeah, have you ever been on a cruise, Shira? Once. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a cruise girl. Oh my God. I, I don't know. I went on... But it was more... It wasn't like a typical cruise. It was for... Uh, uh, a what's it called like an event series like this do you know summit series it's like it's like this annual event kind of like uh ted but not at that level Uh where you know a bunch of people come together so you were going to like learn hipsters yeah like like, and then you go hang out with like super high level people and meet people and so we were on a cruise they took over the cruise so it wasn't like a typical experience where you are with a bunch of strangers but you're with like really cool people and strangers you need to go on like a big gay cruise like i have not been on one of those oh they're amazing oh so you have oh yeah like four or five i mean i i thought it was okay like i think it was kind of weird and cool to just go on your balcony and look out on the horizon and be like, I'm literally in the middle of water. I have no idea where I am, you know, for basically yeah. a long time. And then you would just dock somewhere else and just not get off the boat. I just thought that was really strange. It wasn't a bad experience, but I, I see horror stories and it makes me not want to do it necessarily, including during this time. My, totally. my cousins actually work on a boat. My One of my cousins met his partner. They both work on a cruise together and it, they've made it their careers so they just have like months that they're on the cruise working 
And then they'll take off like two months mm-hmm. or three months, travel around. So they don't even own, they don't need to own a place to live. Of yep. course, COVID changed that for a moment. Sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, and they don't have to pay for like day to day life because the cruise pays for everything day to day. Then right. they save money. They work on the cruise. Right. Save tons of money. You send it back home. All of the things. Yeah. Well, exactly. now people are doing this in retirement, which I think is so crazy. You know, there's this assisted living for a lot of people is not a really cheap option. Like it can be thousands and thousands of dollars a month, depending on where you live. But being on a cruise ship, like even saying I'm going to I want to be on this cruise for three months at a time. And spending that money, you get a significant discount. So you're getting your meals prepared for you. You're getting activities. You're, there's a gym. There are pools. There's all these different things going on. There's even some lim- very limited health services at a fraction of the cost of what an assisted living facility would be. It's kind of sort of brilliant. Well, And even if you're not at that age, this husband and wife, and they're definitely not assisted living level sure. at that moment, they plan to spend 86 days of the year on the ship. And then they can just bounce to different places. It's actually really, this is interesting. And they, I guess, yeah, as you mentioned, there's like better rates for that if you do it more long term. Uh-huh. There's a well-known long-term cruiser named Mama Lee Washstetter. She's become famous in cruising circles, circles for spending years on this ship, Crystal Serenity. She even wrote a memoir about her experience. And the book is called, I May Be Homeless, But You Should See My Yacht. <laughs> I love it. Come on, Mama. Mama Lee Watchstetter. Yeah. I mean, some people have figured out ways that this can cost as little as $89 a day Huh? for your housing. So for think everything. About that. It's like Room all, inc- and all board, inclusive. Everything that is, that is included in that. And if you think about the astronomical prices, I mean, even when you're talking like retirement living where some of these places do uh, some of your yard work and some of these other things... You're talking upwards of seven to ten thousand dollars a month. So, eighty nine bucks a day, being on the cruise ship, room and board, all and the entertainment, and you get to know the staff, and they become your family. I don't, it's it. It actually just seems a lot. If you're not a person who needs to have like a piece of property to leave uh-huh. as a legacy, or totally. you know that sort of thing, like could be a great option. Less stress, live longer. Seriously, keep it simple and have yeah, fun, and then you life. see the world. An idea. There you have it. Okay, well, next up, uh, lots coming out around Pete Davidson and whether he's going to appear on the Kardashians Mm. and what some of his closest friends say about it. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we are back and coming up on the show. Why is gut health taking over TikTok? Uh, We're getting into that in 30 minutes. Plus, will Pete Davidson appear on the Kardashians? The big question on all of our minds. You know, some articles are saying, like, Pete Davidson, like all of us, because he's reminding other uh, folks of being, like, an Instagram partner, where your partner, like, one person is big on Instagram and an influencer, and you're just, like, in the background, like, watching and supporting. (laughs) Which I think is kind of insulting to Pete Davidson. Like, the man has a career and is, like, doing big things. He's got all these projects going on. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later on this hour. All right, but let's uh, get into some what's trending this hour. We have some news coming out that individuals vaccinated against COVID-19 who are diagnosed with certain psychiatric disorders were more at risk for getting COVID-19, according to a new study published in JAMA Network Open, which this is really interesting how mental health is associated with getting COVID more easily. Yeah, and I think that that's, it's 
I'm so glad that we're trying to tie mental health to so many of like physical health issues, even things that are like public health and infectious disease types of health. Um, and there, you know, the, the change wasn't huge, but they had nearly 15% more positive tests showing a breakthrough case of COVID, even though vaccinated, if they had a concomitant psychiatric disorder. Um, and so I think it's just really important that, you know, when we start talking about even things in the middle of a pandemic, like COVID and vaccines and all of these things that we take care of the whole person, that physical health, mental health, emotional health, all of those things go together because they really do impact each other. Also, when you have mental health issues, like you could say your immune system is not working as properly, right? Because like anxiety impacts your immune system and all that. If you're stressed, right? Naturally, like it's uh, definitely somatic in that way. That's so interesting. So take care of your physical health, take care of your mental health. Um, and speaking of COVID, it, it was interesting in coming up with these headlines. Like I kept seeing more news around COVID nineteen, like really <laughs> interesting stuff popping up from the CDC's kind of weather uh, uh-huh. hub that they built for COVID. Yep. Um, well, a healthcare worker has tested positive for COVID nineteen twice in twenty days in the world's first since the pandemic began. Twice in twenty days, isn't that wild? First Delta. And then subsequently Omicron. And they did all of the right things. So she tested positive, had some symptoms, quarantined, came back out, went back to work. Imagine. Got started having symptoms again. And and interestingly, this person was a part of genetic surveillance, right? So we don't, you know, all, those of us who have gotten COVID, we don't necessarily know what what version or what variant we might have had other than if we got infected, there's maybe a correlation around the time, right? Like I had mm. COVID uh, around the new year this year. That was during the big Omicron BA1 outbreak. I probably got Omicron, but there's no guarantee. And so this woman is actually in the middle of a BA2 outbreak, but got Delta and then got oh BA2 after. It's That's it's horrible. absolutely wild. But what it does show us is that genetic surveillance and understanding these is really important. And that even though we do have really good evidence that previous infection with other variants and vaccinations are protective, yeah. they're not 100% protective. Yeah, bad luck for this person. Yeah. She's really. doing fine, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> She's doing well. Uh, moving on to Florida, legislators passed a bill today that would revoke Walt Disney's uh, dis.n self-governing status. I guess it's called dis.n, like... Disney. Uh, It's a special status uh, where they were able to create like their own laws and uh, for where they were at in Florida because they basically had a huge Mm -hmm. chunk of Florida for their business. Um, So the bill is heading to Governor Ron DeSantis' desk, who is probably going to sign it basically. So they would do away with the special tax district that allows Disney to self govern govern the roughly twenty five thousand acre acre Orlando area where its Disney World theme park complex is located. Uh, so, I mean, this is definitely backlash after them fighting against DeSantis and the Don't Say Gay bill. And yep. he went right into it a few days later. We talked about this yesterday, but this is official that it's been uh, it's been passed and it's moving on to his desk for his signature. Which is really incredible. And it could actually end up in a, a larger potential problem for taxpayers in the form of bonds totaling more than a billion dollars for Florida tax players. Oh, Just smart because DeSantis. DeSantis yeah, yeah, you're really helping your citizens. politics yeah. with Disney and, and trans people's lives. All yeah. right. Well, that was so much trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? 
Oh, nothing much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so everyone's favorite, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. You know, for a long time, it was like, are they a couple? They're not a couple. They're officially a couple. And the Kardashians, if you are not aware, their show has sunsetted on E. It's no longer there. But they do have a brand new show on Hulu. And Hulu has said that it is one of their largest premieres ever. So people are still into the Kardashians. But even though Kim and Pete are like the hot topic in entertainment news, at least in terms of a couple right now, some of Pete's inner circle are reportedly telling him, stay off of the show. No matter what you do, don't go on the show. And they cite other people, like other men, like Chris Humphreys, Tristan Thompson, Lamar Odom, who have been on the show and not fared well afterwards. So because Pete is doing really well, he's involved in multiple projects at this time, a a rom-com with SNL co-star Colin Jost, a sneaker flick titled American Soul, like all these other things going on in Pete Davidson's life, they're saying don't screw up your career, buddy, by going on the Kardashian show on Hulu. Could that screw up his career? (laughs) I don't know. A, do we actually really care? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whether or not he's been on. about it but, all the time. All the time. But I actually kind of love Pete Davidson in a really weird, interesting way. And so I think I would like to see him on the show if it was a show that I was watching. Okay. Well, awesome. Yes. I, I think he's one of those that could kind of, I don't know, not do no wrong, but like people just like him and he's chill. Even when he screws things up. They're like, oh, that's just Pete. Yeah. When has he screwed things up? Uh, I mean, he has mental health issues and I feel like that is kind of like... It makes him even more endearing to us, right? And more real. Exactly. Okay, uh, well, coming up next, we're going to be getting into gut health and why it's blowing up on TikTok. Why you need to know more about this? How do you even know about your gut health next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, it seems like TikTok is uh, running amok with gut health videos. Like, there's 58.8 million views on videos when you search gut health TikTok. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's not surprising. I mean, uh, the talker on gut health isn't something new. Maybe it's becoming more mainstream right now. But here's like a look at what some of these videos are all about. Hi, my name's Linnea. I'm a holistic nutritionist. And today I'm showing you how I went from this painful bloating, stomach issues, to where I'm at now. Stomach issues are a pain and can take away from enjoying life. So I hope these tips help you out some way. First thing that I did was eliminate any food triggers that I had. It took me a while to learn what mine was, but gluten was causing me a lot of stomach pain and irritation. The gluten really damaged my gut and caused my body a lot of inflammation. So I then had to work on healing my gut collagen, bone broth, digestive enzymes to help me break down my food Mm -hmm. while I was healing. Then as my gut was healing, I needed to replace good bacteria that was lost. Including things such as probiotics, fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi. Then I. All right, she continues. We're not, you know, it's a long long video. But that's like basically a look at like all the videos starts out as like, I was having issues with my stomach or I had mental health issues or my skin sucked. And then I realized all I needed to do was repair my gut. So Dr. James Simmons here, taking advantage that you are a medical professional. Can you debunk this? Is it true that a lot is related to our gut? And what does that even mean? There are a lot of things related to our gut. And I, I, I'm of two minds of this. I'm actually a big fan of the fact that there is this proliferation and talking about gut health because it is something that has been ignored for such a long time. And there are very specific and direct connections between our mental health, our neurologic health, and our immune system, and 
our gut health. So if our gut is not in good shape, neither are those three things, and a lot of other parts of us. But this is the big but. You know, I I feel like I, not to hate on this woman. I don't know anything about her, but you know, you can sort of take like a weekend course and be a holistic nutritionist. That doesn't <laughs>、yeah. necessarily qualify you to tell millions of people how they should heal their gut health. So while I really love that we are, you know, I said this earlier in the show, change comes from awareness. So I'm glad that you're going to say change comes from within. Change comes from well, and in this case, it kind of does, right? We.、Yep. Most of us eat too much processed foods, and that really is having a significant impact on our gut health. We are seeing significant rises in things like irritable bowel syndromes and some of these other sort of vague types of syndromes that we can't necessarily put our finger on or a specific causation, but we are finding correlation between.、Huh. All of the crappy, horrible processed foods that we're all consuming too much of, and really poor gut health, which is leading to poor immune health, poor mental health, poor、wow. neurologic health. So,、huh. while I love this, these things like drink a bunch of olive oil every day, or like you know just do this like cucumber ginger juice, or like a, a boiled <laughs> apples, like you know sludgy sweet potato. These things are going to be the specific things that are just going to like cure your gut. And also, if I can add, yeah, you notice there's also this like I was puffy and bloated, I did this thing,、mm -hmm. and now I'm skinny and cute, right? So it's almost like without triggering body shaming and without triggering sort of those like problematic issues when it comes to people's bodies. We're still talking about it, but、mm. in sort of a disguised kind of way, right? Yeah, like how how do you talk about your health without it? Including that, even though it's a fine line. Yeah, like bloating is uncomfortable. No one likes to be bloated. It doesn't feel good, but it、yep. also is not like bloating isn't. You know,、uh, now I can fit this two-piece bikini. Now I'm skinny and therefore valuable because I drank this juice and I'm not bloated. You know what I mean? I feel like、yeah. that's sort of a, a cover for what people are really trying to talk about in there. So I guess what does what, like what's the first sign that you need to look at your gut and what should you do? No one likes looking at their poops, but you got to look at your poops. Sorry. Oh really? Yep. Got to do it. You know it. what? The、Every、first time. time I got told I had gut issues was because <laughs> this is getting TMI. I was. <laughs> we gotta go. Pretty suggestive. He's like, he's like go. TMI. And no, I mean,、go. I was feeling like I was, I was had a lot of gas,、uh -huh. and that was a sign. Supposedly, well, it's not just once, like oh, from one meal. It was consistently. Then I went to a doctor. Like, have you checked your gut? And so, it, you know, it's changing up. What could work? Probiotics, sure, all、sure. this type of stuff, and just、Fiber. go go to a professional to see what works for your and, body. And listen, you a lot of general providers are not actually very good at this. So I'm not saying that like Western medicine has all of the answers either. But we do know that there are some simple things like eating more fiber, eating less processed foods,、um, fermented foods, kimchi that she mentioned, and then lowering your stress. Those four things can go a huge way in you having a nice, healthy gut. Love it. Okay. Well, next up. We didn't talk about it in the tea report yet, but it's like getting so crazy online. Everything coming out、uh, from the trial involving Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. The latest videos, and these are being posted everywhere. Pictures of Johnny Depp in like some weird situations.、Mm. So、mm -hmm. we're gonna get into what came out today. Next, let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We had done this as highlights in the T report about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, but it's just getting so crazy. I think we thought it deserved a whole segment, or maybe I did because I keep just seeing crazy stuff coming coming out of this trial.、Uh, just to catch you up, 
Depp is suing Heard, his ex-wife, for defamation, saying she made up allegations of domestic violence to further her mm. own acting career, which resulted in him losing work. Depp is asking for $50 million in damages, and Heard filed a $100 million counterclaim accusing Depp of regularly abusing her before and during their 15-month marriage. This is messy. Like, at a certain point, some... Uh, like someone's ego has got to step down. And like, of course, I think both of their lives are probably really ruined in many ways by this experience. Of course. I mean, they they both have lost, uh, you know, movie contracts and and work because of these things. You know, Johnny Depp was asked to step down as whatever his character was in the... uh, Tales of Dumbledore. Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, I think that that too, but that was ending. But he was playing a significant character in um, in the new Dumbledore, the new follow ups or the prequels uh, to Harry Potter movies. And he has since been asked, you know, he's been recast in that. And there's actually a new one that's launching soon. He's not a part of that at all. And it, you're right. It's just sort of getting messy. A lot of he said, she said, a lot of I recorded you on a video. You recorded me on a video. This is what a text. I sent a text to someone in 2013 saying they would do X, Y, and Z. And it, it's, it's uh, so I think it's really unfortunate that all of this is happening. And of course, everyone is here for it, right? Because they're, they're yep. big names in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But also it just shows the complexities of relationships and 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 how difficult it is to just like when you're that famous keep your business out of the public eye i'm just amazed that this is so public like the trial could they have done this more privately like everything is live streaming everything's publicized like how much is that helping them if they knew going into this like i actually think from from what i've seen some of the evidence that it seems like both of them had played a part in this unfortunate right. situation. So I just feel like I don't even know who's going to win at this point. But today, jurors actually watched a video showing uh, Depp smashing his kitchen in a rage before pouring himself a large glass of wine. These are just like some of the videos that are now coming out in this whole thing. But I also feel like I, this is why we sort of like reality TV, right? We get to judge somebody else and be like, oh, look how crazy John and Depp and Amber Heard are. We would never do that. I'm sorry. Who hasn't like thrown a glass or like slammed a door in I, well, the middle yeah, of I've it? I've slammed you a door. I mean? I've, uh, what else? I don't know. I have. I've maybe like put a fist down on the table or something. Sure. <laughs> I had an ex That's throw all. my laptop at uh, a wall. Like, uh-huh. That was um, yeah. Uh-huh. It wasn't a good situation. I mean, I'm not. I'm not condoning these things. I'm not <laughs> saying it's it's great, but also like I just feel like it's the it's the show of it all, the spectacle of it all. That you know Johnny Depp is doing all of the things and whatever. Well, here's the clip. Nothing happened this morning. You know that. Were you in here? No. So then nothing happened to you this morning. Yeah, you're right. I just woke up and you were so sweet and nice. We were not even fighting this morning. All I did was say sorry. Did something happen to you this morning? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not even that the, then, the video does much more because yeah. he's going through cabinets and he's clearing out. It's wine very glasses dramatic, and, and, and yeah. yeah, it's obvious that he's been drinking. It's middle Way of the day. Drunk. Like, yeah. yeah, he he obviously has alcohol issues, and then he realizes that she's shooting it. She also knows what she's doing. Clearly, yes, because she's documenting it all, uh-huh. and then he realizes that she's shooting, and then he's like, "Oh, you want to document this? You want?" And then you can see it's like. 
you know, the phone's going everywhere. Like right. they're fighting over the phone. And this is being this was shown to jurors today. Like this is part of what's going on in the trial. Like this is admissible in court, if you will. So this is evidence. You know, he did lose a a trial um, earlier. I think it was last year in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, where he was suing, uh, he brought against a UK tabloid that called him a wife beater based on Heard's allegations. He actually lost that uh, defamation trial. Um, so, you know, you see this video and it seems awfully incriminating, cr- incriminating at least in terms of the what Amber Heard is accusing him of. Well, he's clarified and they did ask, like, is this the behavior of a Southern gentleman, which is what others like what they're trying to create this idea that he's this like this gentleman and then he said that he strayed from control over his emotions and he said I don't know about anyone else just like kind of you said but I've had experience in my life where one does stray from complete control over their emotions and this is a very normal primal thing to do he says he didn't physically attack her though he did assault a couple of cabinets (laughs) hey like I said so, who, who hasn't? I've slammed plenty of door in the middle of, of uh, you know, explaining to my husband why, of course, I'm right and he's wrong. I think at this point, if you're a juror, <laughs> what would you say? Like, what would you make a decision? I'd be on? like, can y'all just pay me my fee so I can go back to work? Right. Pay us. Pay I'm, us I'm for having it. to deal with this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, coming up next, this dad was blasted on TikTok for his reaction to his own uh, child's gender reveal. What went down next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, no. More gender reveals gone wrong. I mean, the one we had here in California that went so terribly wrong really resulted bad. in like hundreds and thousands of acres of burned fire. right fires, people losing their homes and lives. So I just, for the record, am not for a gender reveal anyway, for like lots of like, I feel like social political issues. Like, why are we sort of totally. celebrating one or the other? And uh, you get into kind of sticky situations like this. Yeah. Well, maybe the universe is giving us a sign because it just keeps not working out. Yeah, no. Right. Uh, so this is what happened when this guy uh, found out about his the baby's gender. This was all caught on camera and he has been called out. Ah, <laughs> 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 what is it, Kaya? You having a baby brother or baby sister? <laughs> no, a baby sister. <laughs> so basically, he, you know, they discover that it's a girl, and all you can hear is him dropping f bombs. As you heard, does he's not doesn't seem happy, and so I don't know if he was being dramatic and playing to it. I mean. Somewhat rude. Uh, the family seems to think it's pretty funny, maybe because he's just around so many women. And so it's now another girl to add. And so, uh, but people don't think it's funny. No. Well, I mean, his wife sort of comes to his defense on on the video and it says on this post on TikTok, I swear he's happy, but there are lots of people who have commented in the comment section, which has since been muted. Now you can't comment anymore, but the video has gone viral on Twitter as well. This video is painful to watch. I cannot imagine having a father that was disappointed in me before I was born. His reaction was alarming. So I'm going to go the other direction with this and play a little bit of, of devil's advocate. Yeah. We are complex human beings. I don't think that it's fair to say that this man is going to be completely um, disappointed in who you are as a person before you're even born just because he was looking forward to potentially having a boy. Was his reaction inappropriate? Absolutely. Like you should be happy to have if you if you are trying to procreate and you're having a child, you should be happy regardless of that person's gender. 
So, like, the the reaction was inappropriate. But also, like, let's slow down here. Like, you're not going to be have, trying to for, forecast some conversation that you're having with your dad when you're 47 years old about you were disappointed in me with both I don't know. I, I feel born. like this could be get brought up at a dinner table. Let's play that video again. No, don't you don't even play it. But, like, being like, can we play that video when you just use the F-bomb? When like, this is something the, uh-huh. that is going to come up again and again, including now that it's gone viral. I mean, once again, it's one of those things, he, like, when someone make, teases you. Like, does a joke, but then it kind of just gets old, uh-huh. and then it starts being just rude and insulting. Sure. Right? Sure. Like, and then, yeah, especially if this gets played over and over again. Oh, hey, guess what? Whoever this child's name is, you know, oh, remember that video that went viral that dad was so unhappy that it was you? I mean, I get that, but I, I feel like some of the reactions were a little bit too much. Like, all right, everybody slow Not down. surprising, including when you bring gender into play, and then you, when you have uh, a dude like that playing it that way, right. you're like, oh, the D bag dad right. who uh, doesn't want to accept their kid's gender. Who's maybe it seems a little aggro anyway, if you got to look at some of these other yeah. videos. Anyway. Like, I don't know. All right. Well, gender reveal parties seem just to be. It's time to Ooh, uh, let's move on retire from that. Them. Please. Yes. Thank you. Uh, next up, one of the first trans golfers is making headlines for her controversial remarks. This is like. Really disappointing and quite surprising. We're going to get into that and more next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, more music coming up right here on Channel Q, but right now we've got more show. It is Shira. Ryan is out. Dr. James Simmons has been filling in, saving my life here. You are killing it, Sharon. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. And we have to give props, I believe, to producer, producer Jesse, Jesse who's doing Makes the dream fantastic. Work. Great job, Jess. You know, yes, appreciate all of you yes, and all of you yes. for listening. Exactly. So there's a new Abercrombie and Fitch documentary that's bringing a lot of attention and a lot of questions around their discriminatory behavior and practices. It's on Netflix right now. We're going to be getting more into that in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes, a good one to check out, definitely. Uh, Plus, a housewife who's suing not just any housewife from the Housewives show. <laughs> just a, any old housewife. You know we mean? drove to Ohio. We picked a housewife, and she just happens to be suing a major network and some yeah. household names. You're not going to want to miss it. No, yeah. it's one of the housewives from the Real Housewives of Atlanta. We will keep it a secret as to who, but this is kind of a juicy story coming up. Yeah, she's suing NBC yeah. over dun, racism. Dun, dun, and yeah. Bravo and yeah. Exactly. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. The CDC has determined that its order requiring masking on planes and other public transit is still needed. And now it heads to the Justice Department, who will appeal the Florida federal judge's ruling that voided the federal mask mandate for travelers if the CDC believes masking remains necessary. What is your take on all of that? Very controversial, this whole thing. So I've gotten a lot of flack in the past because I'm not sure that mask mandates work because there's a really there's no way to enforce them and you have to give people the resources to do them. So you can say you have to wear a mask, but then if we let people wear cloth masks that don't really work, the mandate isn't working anyway. So if you can't enforce it and you can't give people the tools and resources to execute it the right way, mandates don't work. That being said, I don't care how good HEPA filtration systems on airplanes are. If you are sitting next to someone who has COVID and they sneeze on you, you're going to get it. Yep. So I'm a fan of putting the masks back on, at least until we're over this BA2 surge. Uh, but I know people aren't going and to. And in general, whether it's COVID or something else, it's easy to get stuff on a plane. Yeah. Typically, if you're traveling, you will get sick if you don't take, make sure your hands stay clean. Probably wear a mask now. Even, you know, I used to fall asleep on the tray thing sometimes. Like you fall sure. asleep. That's dirty. 
It's very dirty. No, yeah, like uh-huh. it's, it's one of the dirtiest places. Sure. We used to make fun of Naomi Campbell. Remember those videos? She would like completely wipe down her entire, you know, first class pod before she would fly She's anywhere. A yeah. And uh, Naomi's yeah. doing just fine. Now, Mian Beggar, the first transgender woman to compete in a professional golf tournament, says trans women shouldn't be allowed to compete in female sports. Ooh. Here's a clip. Well, if someone has gone through male puberty and has competed in elite pro-level sport uh, or Olympic-level sport as a male, I think if they transition, that should preclude them from competitive women's sport. She told this to Australian TV's Insight that she now supports a bill seeking to ban trans athletes from female events down under. She said that it will leave her branded a hypocrite. But she's still saying it. She ripped also on the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, for amending its trans inclusion policy, which now means gender reassignment surgery is no longer required for a trans female athlete to compete. The Olympics have had trans inclusive policies. This is from Scientific American. Since 2004, not a single openly transgender athlete has yet to qualify. And this notion that transgender, particularly we, when we talk about this, we talk about transgender women and girls having an unfair advantage coming from the idea that they have increased testosterone levels and physical changes because of that. But let's think about the fact that most transgender women and girls are on girls are on puberty blockers. So they're not developing these same things. And trans women, trans women are not on the same level of, of, of hormones. Like there's, it's not happening. This thing that the right has seemed to make, make up about this massive influx of trans women have come in and they're dominating women's sports right now. Isn't, happening at all we have absolutely no proof of that and the science backs up the fact that there really isn't a physical advantage yeah it's really unfortunate and this uh her speaking out it's not going to help the narrative oh, she's no. like the chris jenner or not uh the yeah. caitlin jenner of australia it seems. the voldemort right. Right. the names that Shana um, mentioned. all right that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news Oh, boy. Dun, dun, dun. So one of the very original, biggest of the franchises of The Real Housewives, the uh, one of the OGs, NeNe Leakes, is suing Bravo and Andy Cohen specifically and NBC Universal and True Entertainment and Truly Original Entertainment for fostering a hostile and racist work environment. She was one of the original cast members, if you remember, from the launch of the show in 2008, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Her last appearance was on in 2020, which is actually part of this whole lawsuit. She says that she was forced off of the show Mm -hmm. during that time because she spoke up a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement and was very open and vocal. In this suit, she goes on to point several comments from her friend Kim Zolziak Bierman, allegedly made during production. Things like... I don't want to sit around with Nini and eat chicken. Whew. And when Candy Burris, uh, very very famous Candy Burris, came onto the cast saying mm-hmm. things like calling Candy Burris ghetto, which we know is problematic as well. Um, does Candy Burris really need a swimming pool, insinuating that black people don't swim? Ew. There is also a big bombshell that she drops in this lawsuit where she says that Kim Zolziak uses the N-word when referring to Nene and other cast members. So Nene has gone on to say that she's complained about these multiple times. She went to the heads of the studio. She went to all these people. Nothing was ever done about it. And now she is suing them. Yikes. Uh, Well, it seems like she has a lot of evidence. 
I mean, she. It sounds like she does. You know, that no comment uh, out of Andy Cohen, NBC Universal, Bravo, Truly Entertainment, or Drew Entertainment's camp at this time, yet to be seen. And we don't know how much she's suing them for. Okay. Well, thank you for that. More drama coming out of that oh, show. Oh man. Because, you know, what the Real Housewives needs is more, more drama. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, next up, uh, the Florida, Florida sorry, Department of Health is pushing back on federal guidance on trans youth care. So one doctor is explaining the implications of this, what he's going through. He's mm. in Alabama right now. Mm-hmm. And what could happen next after this? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Oh, we actually have a sound effect now. Do you now? Oh, it's a button. I it's thought, fine. That was good. But that was a pretty good one. It I, was. I, I try to do Ryan. No one can do it like Ryan, of course. But since I am a poor, lowly replacement for Ryan today, <laughs> I at least gave it a whirl. Well, this one goes to a couple out of New York uh, who are bringing another black-owned LGBTQ plus bar to the city in late April. Uh, the owners and couple, who are so adorable, mm-hmm. Charles Hughes and Richard Solomon, are opening Club Lambda Brooklyn in April 28th. It's an expansion of their first location, Lambda Lounge, which is located in Harlem. And they felt they had an obligation to create a safe haven where all are welcome and also create a safe space for queer people of color. Well... I just love this, and I love so them. So awesome. Yeah, and they, they're just their energy, their vibe. You, y'all should really go online and check out this video. Um, it's it's just so fun. And even their Instagram page uh, has all of these, this splashy opening of the new club that's coming on 5-5. It's Lambda Lounge NY on Instagram. Great pictures there. You can see the couple. You can learn more about what these clubs are about. And it is amazing to me that we are still unfortunately having to have unique spaces for us, even in 2022. But also, I'm so uh, happy to see that doing this is getting so much support. Uh, big names have gone to the Lambda Lounge that exists already in Harlem, like Lil Nas X, Megan Good, and D. Ray McKesson. So hopefully there's going to be some other folks going to the new one in Brooklyn. And I may be going to New York in June. You got to check it out. I'm checking them out. I love that. So a big shout out to them again. Uh, Lambda Lounge, New York. Uh, and these two who are just killing it, Charles Hughes and Richard Solomon. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. There you oh, go. We brought it, it back. <laughs> it also does it for our show today. But we are back tomorrow wrapping up the week. Ryan is back. We got Char on the third mic. It's a party. Love it. Uh, and so, yeah, tune in tomorrow, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern live. Dr. James Simmons, as always, thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. You can follow him on social media at AskTheNP. Thank you, Shara. Glad to be here. And hope to see you again. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.